0: Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Christ and Me with Addie where we seek to live out a John 3:30 life. John 3:30 says, "He must become greater and greater and I less and less." Let's be real, in today's world, it can seem impossible to live out what the Bible calls us to do. Not only can it be hard to understand sometimes, but finding the time to read the Bible, to understand the Bible, to know the Bible, it can just be overwhelming. So I created this podcast so we could walk alongside each other, share some of our stories and struggles, but also the lord is bringing us so that we can encourage one another and stay rooted in his word it's my prayer that you walk away from each episode saying i know that that is christ in me i know christ in me so let's get into today's topic everybody. Welcome to episode three of Christ in Me with Addie. I'm your host. And today is going to be a hefty episode. So prepare yourselves now. We're going to be talking about how do I know I can trust the Bible? So the reason I wanted to start out with such a big topic first, I know this is only the third episode, but if you don't trust that the Bible is the living Word of God, then really every episode before and following um, this specific episode might not hit home for you as much. As Christians, we believe that the Bible is the foundation for the entire faith, so how the, how can we trust that something so old and that something that has so many uh, rumors about it and so many accusations about it can actually be True. So today I'm going to break down the history of the Bible in about 30 minutes is what I'm shooting for. Um, And I hope by the end, you are convinced that the Word of God is nothing short of miraculous. So in this episode, we will break down how I personally overcame my skepticism that ultimately led to my belief in the Bible as the actual Word of God and a historical document. So many people believe that the Bible is just a book of fairy tales um, or mythology, but truly it has held up to the credentials that every other ancient piece of literature has undergone as it has been unveiled. So we'll get into the nitty-gritty of just that, but it is, in fact, a historical document. Something to understand is that there are two aspects to faith. There's the physical, and then uh, there's the spiritual. So with the physical, that is evidentiary support, such as historical evidence, archaeological evidence, and more. And with the spiritual, this is like the supernatural side of faith, the God-given side That's just as real as the physical. However, it's the side that many unbelievers will never come to understand. So we're going to discuss that as we get further into this episode. Maybe you're in a place today that you're like, I want to believe in the Bible. I want to believe it's true, but I'm just not sure. And honestly, investing in all the time and research is a lot of hard work that's what I've done for you. So um, we're going to dive into that. But maybe you're thinking the Bible is just old and outdated, and I don't need it to follow Jesus. Or maybe you've heard questions that have raised doubt in your mind, like, isn't the Bible just like a giant game of telephone? I'm not sure if you're familiar with the game of telephone, but it's basically where a person whispers a phrase like, cats are coolest when they're the color orange and then you have to pass that down and then you hear the repeated message at the end and it's usually something really obscure like the car set out to turn red on george you know so that that's another speculation is that it's been handed down so much that now the original message has been distorted but we're going to talk about how the game of telephone doesn't apply to the bible either So, regardless of where you stand with the Bible today, let's be sure to define one thing about the Word of God. The Bible and its accounts of Jesus' life are the foundation for Christianity. Unfortunately, many people, even Christians, think that they can follow Jesus without knowing his Word. The Bible is the foundation for how we live and learn to be more like Christ. In this episode, I'm going to use means outside of Scripture to support the accuracy of the Bible because I realize that skeptics probably don't want to hear an argument for the Bible from the Bible, the very book that they discredit. For those who are believers, I want to start with John 1.1. So if you're a skeptic, just stick with me. John 1.1 says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God or the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Let me repeat that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Similarly, in John 20, 31, it says, These are written so that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Here we clearly read that the the foundation of Christianity is rooted in the Bible and the Word, and we cannot be true followers of Jesus without it. Think about it. You wouldn't say that you're Michael Phelps without knowing how to swim. And similarly, we can't say that we're Christians without knowing his word. So let's dive into the historical accuracy of the Bible. Skeptics commonly argue that the Bible is a book that cannot be trusted because it was written by men, or it's a book with a hidden agenda for religious control let's break down why these statements are far from true. First, let's define how historical findings are deemed viable. So as um, different things are uncovered, they go through a certain process to actually be marked as historically accurate. People often say that anyone presenting history with a bias is uh, unreliable. However, that's like saying learning from a history teacher who's passionate about history is wrong. We know this is not true. And many people who explore their passions typically want to get to the truth. So if you ask any person in whatever, um, field of profession that they're in, they probably have some story related to a situation that led for their passion to go into that line of work. So for example, I have a friend who um, her grandfather got very ill. And so she went into neuro uh, neuro studies, like she wanted to become a neurosurgeon to help prevent um, the same sickness that kind of took her grandpa, prevent that for others. We wouldn't say that she's any less credible because she has a passion um, that's emotionally based or, you know, whatever. We would just say good for her. She went on to to get the education to make that happen and put in the time and the experience. Similarly, when it comes to uncovering different books of the Bible, or let's just say history in general, it has to undergo a process, a process of deeming that um, it is accurate according to other works that were found at the time, um, that the writer even wasn't uh, writing something just to throw off people in the time, like it undergoes a process. So the historical method is the process of deeming historical findings accurate. The method includes number of ancient manuscripts found, eyewitness documentation, archaeological findings, and more. The Bible has undergone the same historical methodology as any other piece of ancient literature. It has not been changed to fit a human-inspired motive Many argue the canon of the Bible was decided at the Council of Nicaea, which I could spend an entire episode uh, disputing why this is not accurate. But if you're interested in hearing more about that topic, um, about the Council of Nicaea and how uh, people think that the canon of the Bible was decided in that council, theologian Mike Winger, he's a pastor, has a great video on that, and I'll link it below. Um, For anyone watching on YouTube, it will be in the comments below. So books of the Bible were collected based on their accuracy in themes, events, and intentions written about compared to the manuscripts that were already found. So it's important to know, like the Bible wasn't just summed up in one day. They The books of the Bible were uncovered over a period of time. So when they found a new one, they could compare it to one's that had already be, been found. So remember the gospels are firsthand accounts. They're not, um, you know, a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend of Jesus. They are actual people who witnessed Jesus's ministry and were a part of, you know, Jesus's mystery as a uh, mystery, <laughs> Jesus's ministry as it was uncovering. So I understand that I am biased in defending the Bible, but you can, and I hope you do research these topics further instead of just taking my word for it. I hope to just kind of inspire and encourage you to dive in and ask yourself, what if? Like, what if, what if I'm wrong? If you don't believe in the Bible, like, what if I'm wrong? What if this is all right? And what if I just have like a really closed mind to, um, the truth of the Bible because I've never dug. And that was me personally. I never took the time to invest in actually researching if the Bible was real. And when I did, the evidence was undeniable. Let's also remember, I said this already, but the Bible wasn't just drawn up in one day. Biblical findings are still happening to this day. I wanted to give one quick example just to kind of prove this point. So the Smithsonian released an article in 2021 titled, Is the Old Testament Historically Accurate? A scientist and non believer by the name of Ben Yosef and his colleagues from the University of California who were studying paleomagnetism. Guys, I promise I sound really smart in this, but I did not know what paleomagnetism was until I read this article. But it's the investigation of the changes in the Earth's magnetic field over time. So they were studying um, the Earth's magnetic field when they uncovered what they believed to be evidence of King Solomon's kingdom. They were super skeptical to claim the accuracy of the Bible, but they could not argue that the fact and the timeline and the location of their findings matched biblical themes. So these were very um, scholarly scientific people who found something, turned in the evidence, and then started to realize very quickly that it aligned with much of um, the Bible's history. So they're non-believers. They have no, no reason to claim it was the Bible, but it was undeniable to say that this historically aligns with um, King Solomon and like the timelines and the dates and the descriptions given in the Bible. So all that to say, let's jump into—I've highlighted some points, and the first point I want to make is that the Bible is a unique historical document that is unmatched by any other literary work. I know you're probably thinking, okay, Addy, like, I don't know about that but truly of its time, so compared to other ancient texts that were uncovered um, during the time of, I'm talking about the New Testament specifically here, because the Old Testament, if you're not familiar, the Old Testament is a collection of works um, that the Jewish recognize as the Torah. Also, when referencing the Torah, that's the first five books of the New Testament. So, the Old Testament has been around for a very, very long time. It's the New Testament that, you know, even the Jewish people today reject uh, because they just don't have faith in Jesus, but also because it's just not a part of their original Torah. So, we are talking specifically about the New Testament here and how that, that discovery, those manuscripts are unmatched by any other literary work during their time. So, let's compare the Bible to those literary works. Ancient Greek philosopher Plato had 30 uncovered manuscripts at the time of the earliest New Testament findings, which as of a study of 2019, that's the earliest I could find, there are now 238 uncovered manuscripts by Plato. Another very common one that we use even in the public school system, I was a public school kid. Um, Solomon was a homeschooled kid, so we like to compare stories sometimes. But Homer's Iliad is another literary work of higher findings at the time with 650 uncovered manuscripts, again, at the time of Old Testament or New Testament findings. And as of a study in 2019, that number is now 1,900. Now let's compare New Testament findings. The earliest manuscripts were 5,856 in just Greek alone at the time. As of 2019, we have uncovered nearly 24,000 manuscripts supporting the evidence of the Bible, uh, and that's uncovered in multiple languages across multiple continents. So needless to say, something big happened, something huge happened to the point that everyone was writing about this, 24,000 manuscripts. That's like everyone getting on Twitter and tweeting the same thing by their own perspective at the same time. Is Twitter a thing anymore? No, I think it's like X now, right? Anyways, the other thing that's uniquely significant about the Bible is that writings were found dating AD, which is after death, 44 to uh, 90 or 95, meaning the gap between when the events actually happened, so like The events that were being written about in the New Testament, the gap from when that happened to the first uncoverings of um, writings and manuscripts found was very short, Uh, whereas with other literary works, it was hundreds of years spanned. So that's like... In American history, a huge um, recent thing, which I'm. Th- this is on my mind because tomorrow, the time I'm recording this, but tomorrow is 9-11 in our nation. So that's like 9-11 happening and pretend that we have no media or digital means of spreading news, but that's like 9-11 happening and then 500 years later, someone deciding to write about it. There's a lot that could get lost there because the person didn't write about it right away. That is not the case with the Bible. We had things uh, as early as 44 AD pertaining to the New Testament things. So Bruce Metzger, he is a professor at Princeton Theological Seminary He says, the more often you have copies that agree with each other, especially if they emerge from different geographical areas, the more you can cross-check them to figure out what the original document was like. The only way they'd agree would be where they went back genealogically in a family tree that represents the descent of the manuscripts. The quantity of New Testament material is almost embarrassing in comparison with other works of antiquity. In other words, what Bruce Metzger is saying here is the Bible blows every other literary work out of the water, and there is a clear paper trail of its origins. So keep in mind, when we have this Bible here today in front of us, it's not just something that someone summed up. This is thousands of years of uncoverings and findings put together into one book. The second point I would like to make is the number of manuscripts prove something of miraculous nature. Uh, They do not prove a coarse theory of religious force. So skeptics like to claim, or people in general like to claim, like, religion is control, or, you know, the Bible was made by man to control humans. And I'm going to explain to you why that theory makes no sense at all. So something to recognize is that the game of telephone does not apply when it comes to the Bible. The Old Testament, which I already said, it's called the the torah in the jewish religion uh, was in place long before jesus lived and was widely accepted in jewish culture to jewish people today the old testament is the torah there is no argument the old testament findings are widely accepted as being historically accurate so let's talk new testament specifically moving forward how can we trust that the gospels are real accounts first and foremost people of that time period didn't have a bible app they didn't have email they didn't have texting Many didn't even have the ability to read or write. Like education was people's um, main source of looking cool. Whereas now we put on a cool outfit, put it on the gram. And we think that that's like our recognition. But back in the day, your ability to like memorize things and the new things you were learning, that was interesting in conversation to people, not who are you wearing? You know, like we hear on the red carpet today, it's more of what are you learning? And I just love that about, you know ancient times. But anyways, so to learn about historical events, they would learn from teachers and commit many things to memory. If they got something wrong, they were quick to be corrected because memorization was a huge part of culture from how they retained knowledge and education to how they remembered directions from city to city. Could you imagine being in like a, a desert sort of location, a desert um, nation, and then having to memorize directions? And if you got it wrong, you could be stranded in the desert. So they, they memorized things extremely well. New Testament scholar Craig Blomberg states... Books, are actually scrolls of papyrus, because that's what they had at the time, were relatively rare. Therefore, education, learning, worship, and teaching was all done by word of mouth. Rabbis became famous for having entire Old Testament um, books committed to memory, so it would have been well within the capability of Jesus' disciples to co- have committed much more to memory than just what appears in all four Gospels put together and to have passed it along accurately." What we find in historical writings, especially among the gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is that they are not carbon copies of each other. What some deem as contradictions prove the point that they're all separate perspectives telling their side of the same story. Different people notice and highlight different things in their retelling. This does not mean that they are not still valid eyewitnesses, but think about when you hear a story from a friend versus when you tell it. Have you ever thought, well, that is not how I remember it? But essentially? the same meat or the same message of the story is being told. So a lot of times people are like, oh, well, why did John include this in his gospel, but so-and-so didn't include this in their gospel? And people see that as contradictions. Um, but truly, when you really look at the, the verses in context and compare them, it's not a contradiction. It's more so Perspective. Again, this does not affect the accuracy of the text, just perspective. If if something was carbon copy word for word, it's like, again, going back to public school, if you turned in your paper and you got all the same questions wrong as the person in front of you, the teacher would typically call you after class and be like, did you cheat off of the person in front of you because you had the same exact answers? And that, if a teacher can figure that out amongst high school students, Historians can figure that out when comparing historical manuscripts. So Simon Greenleaf of Harvard Law School explains it as this, There is enough of a a discrepancy to show that there could have been no previous concert among gospel writers, and at the same time, there's such a substantial agreement as to show that they were all independent narrators of the same great transaction. Think about court cases. Experts are quick to question testimonies that sound too similar as if practiced. In cases in cases pertaining to children, this is referred to as grooming and their testimony is deemed inadmissible for court. In the case of the gospel writers, their testimonies were consistent with their economic and social status and their education level and their dialect from their native land. Let's pick on John specifically for a moment. And I want to state, anyone listening, we don't technically know who the gospel, who wrote the gospel of John, but we can conclude that it was most likely. Uh, John the Apostle. (laughs) So, with that assumption in mind, let's pick on John specifically for a moment. Why would a fisherman who had a promising fishing business with his father leave that behind to follow Jesus and then write an entire book on the life of Jesus? Like, he could have spent his time writing a book on how to be a wealthy um, or how to boom in the economy, in the fishing trade economy, you know, but no, he decided to write a book on Jesus. He was one of many to do this. If he were not actually performing the miracles written about him, why would anyone give up their life and livelihood for a lie? People who followed Jesus, wrote about Jesus, who were just like, Jesus, everything, they set aside their entire lives for this person. And in history, we see that not just in John, but with thousands of manuscripts that have been uncovered with people writing about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus they lost everything. They lost their entire old lives. They lost businesses. They moved away from family members. They essentially became nomads living out of tents. And so why would anyone choose that for a lie? Norman Geisler, I hope I'm seeing that right. Norman Geisler, founder of the Southern Evangelical Seminary, says, I've made a hobby of collecting alleged discrepancies, inaccuracies, and conflicting statements in the Bible. I have a list of about 800. A few years ago, I co authored a book called When Critics Ask. Very good book, by the way. I really recommend. When Critics Ask, which devotes 600 pages to setting the record straight. All I can tell you is that in my experience, when critics raise objections, they uh, tend to violate one of 17 principles for interpreting scripture. So there are actually 17 principles for interpreting scripture from a historical context. And almost every time this guy is saying, anytime someone's like, well, that contradicts that. And that's, you know, I'm sure I'll get a bunch of messages after this podcast episode saying like, well, what about this one? What about this one? And while I can't prove every one to you because i don't have a memorized off the top of my head what i can promise you is that there is an answer out there if you're willing to investigate. So that takes us on to point number 3. The Bible was not written for religious control. Like it just was not written because someone was like i'm going to become powerful and wealthy from like no human has the capability to write what is in this book. I'm telling you, if it's not divine inspiration, then we have like the smartest human in the history of humans in our midst and have no idea. Or, you know, we'll get into that. So the life of Jesus is not just documented by New Testament manuscripts. There are documentations of Jesus and history outside of like religious means. There were people who documented him who didn't want to believe in Jesus, but he was a real person and still is, but he was a real person in history. So most historians would agree that he was a real person with significant evidence for his life. The question is, how do you interpret his life? Was he truly the Messiah capable of miracles? Was he merely a prophet? Was he just a man who built the first real influencer following without the help of Instagram? Like who was this guy? I know who he is to me, and I hope that through further investigation, you will know who he is to you. Accounts of Jesus are found in writings of Jewish historian Josephus. It might be Josephus, like I don't know how to say it, but Josephus. And keep in mind, this Jewish historian did not want to prove that Jesus was real or correct because Jesus challenged the entire faith of Judaism with his New Testament teachings and still does to this day. Um, But he was written about by a Jewish historian. So we know that he had to be a real person. If people who didn't want him to be real were writing, okay, guys, like he was real. We can't, we can't deny that part, but um, he was written about. He can also be found in the Talmud, Tactus, Pliny the Younger, and more. Non-Christian sources also document him as a real person with a major impact. Historian Edward Yamuchi, I hope I'm saying that right, Yamauchi of Miami University states, we would, still have consi- we would still have a considerable amount of important historical evidence about Jesus without the New Testament. In fact, it would provide a kind of outline for the life of Jesus. Without Christian sources, we would still know that Jesus was a Jewish teacher, that many people believed he performed miracles, that he was crucified by Pontius Pilate, That he was rejected by Jewish leaders, that after his death, his followers believed he was still alive. And that word uh, spread beyond Palestine from people and cities and countrysides, uh, men, women, slave and free, and that he was worshipped as a God or as God. Uh, we would still know all of that from historical documents uncovered that were non-Christian sources. So people who had no skin in the game, kind of hate that saying, by the way, but people who had no skin in the game were saying Jesus was real. So if they were in a position of trying to gain some sort of religious control, they had nothing to gain, but actually everything to lose in their own religions that they were settled in, like Judaism, by stating that Jesus was real. The Bible has over 60,000 cross references from New Testament um, to old, spanning thousands of years across multiple religions, languages, and continents. It would take the most intelligent person in the world to conspire such a, a work, a literary work. It would take someone who is superhuman. And for those of us who know God and know Jesus, we know that for 60,000 cross references over thousands of years, we're talking like things that were predicted hundreds of years before they happened, with thousands of manuscripts writing that, and then they came true, and people were like, um, guys, we've, we've been holding on to this for quite a few thousand years, and it just happened. Uh, that's what people of the, the ancient world got to see uncovered. So if the Bible really were created by men for the purpose of control, they would have been dead long before seeing any sort of profit. Not to mention the gospel unifies everyone in Christ versus causing divisiveness between ethnicity, race, social class, etc. Lastly, there was no profit from the gospel. I kind of talked about this already, but all of Jesus's followers were basically nomads. They traveled away from their homes, their families, they lived in tents, they were chased down constantly by people who wanted to kill them. They gave up everything for this man. If they hadn't witnessed a miracle, why would they do that? Um, they were persecuted for sharing the gospel. There is no other explanation in my mind. And I know this part is opinion, but there's no other explanation in my mind than divine inspiration to write the the accounts God wanted man to record under the inspiration by the Holy Spirit. So, if you missed my last podcast episode, episode 2, it was my my best Bible study tips for someone who's trying to get into the word, and I read the verse in Timothy that says all scripture is god-breathed. So as Christians, we believe we, we acknowledge the miraculous nature of the amount of manuscripts we have. So that is the practical side of faith. That is the um, the scientific side, the historical side of faith. Now, the spiritual side of faith, we read that verse in Timothy and we say, yes, all scripture is God-breathed. And I believe that it was written by men, by the apostles of Jesus through inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Like they had the Holy Spirit in them that was inspiring them to write the word of God. And that is how God brought it into fruition into this place and time for us to have. So point four, Jesus really did rise from the dead and perform miracles. We have evidence of this and we'll get into that. The writings of the Bible are miraculous in nature that we have them here today because of the number of manuscripts found all agreeing on one theme, Jesus is the son of God, not just a prophet, not just an influencer. He's the son of God. Let's take a step back and just talk about the number of prophecies Jesus fulfilled in his life prior to his ministry in his 30s. So um, when I was a skeptic of the Bible, I would say stuff like, okay, so how do we know that someone didn't Write like a fake letter, fake news, and put it in with the the manuscripts of the Bible or whatever. And so then when they by their means made this miracle happen, or when something was like huge in the news, how did they not just like write and then on this day and this day this would happen? And then slide that in. And the people read it and they're like, It's a freaking miracle, you know? But that's not what happened. Thousands of people had these prophecies laid out in front of them for hundreds of years, and then they started coming true. So someone couldn't just make that up and lie about it. They were written long before they happened. So, and here's some examples in Genesis forty nine ten. this is 1400 years before manuscripts on Jesus's life were uncovered. It was written that he would come from the tribe of Judah. Check. Isaiah 29, 18, 700 years before it was written, it was said that he would heal people, specifically the blind and the deaf and the lame. So things seemingly incurable at the time. Check. He did that. Isaiah 53, 3, this is 700 years before it was written, he would be rejected by his own people. Check. Jesus was rejected by the Jews for his teachings. Zechariah 11:12. This is 500 years before it happened. It was predicted that Jesus would be b- betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. How much more specific can we get? Can we just talk about that? People often say miracles of the Bible are just coincidence, but for hundreds of years people had it written in manuscript evidence that these prophecies being told Uh, were prophecies, and then they started coming true, yet people still denied their accuracy. And that's where just the faith portion comes in. Do you want to see? Do you want to believe? Or do you have pride in your heart that you're just gonna continue denying what's blatantly in front of you? Judas denied Jesus for silver. And the fact that that came true and Judas knew that he was the one that was foretold for hundreds of years, he couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe that he became that person um, to the point that it drove him to his own death. So, you know, whether that was prophesied that Satan would, you know, lead someone to do that or what, however exactly it's written, it's just, it's amazing to me that that actually happened, yet people still deny. it. Psalm 1610 and Hosea 6-2 both predicted that Jesus would be resurrected on the third day again hundreds of years before Jesus and it came true these were all messianic prophecies Jesus is the messiah so they're messianic prophecies the ancient world was on the lookout for the messiah that was like the hot news that was the hot goss is the messiah so from the time of the last old testament prophet to the time that Jesus was actually born was a span of 400 years. So for 400 years, the hot goss was the Messiah. Is he the Messiah? Maybe he's the Messiah. Maybe that's the Messiah. And so if you were to say that someone was the Messiah when they weren't, that was extremely blasphemous and you could actually be put to death for... um for blasphemy, for saying that someone was the Messiah when they weren't. And that's actually also what ended up leading to Jesus's death is because the Jews said, like, you are not the Messiah, yet he was fulfilling every prophecy foretold. So the fact that they still denied was the fact that they didn't want to have faith in the Son of God, not that there wasn't enough evidentiary support. So for someone to boldly state when Jesus arrived on scene that this is the Messiah It's because he was fulfilling every prophecy foretold about him. People were killed. They were persecuted. They were outcast. And they were punished by Jewish and Roman government at the time who did not want to see change. That is more religious control than anything in history. The people who literally saw these prophecies being fulfilled by this man who still said, No, stay in Judaism, stay in this because just, just ignore him. I know these things are coming true, but we're probably going to kill him later. Just keep doing what we've been doing because this is good and this is, this is godly. That's more religious control than Jesus ever was. So for people to look at the Bible, for people to look at Christianity and say, like, that's just control, man. Like Jesus was like, the The earliest type of, I don't want to say hippie because I feel like that's blasphemous, but he was the earliest type of like, no, man, like this is the way. And yet people still deny him. So um, let's not forget also, there were 500 witnesses, 500 people documented in 1 Corinthians 15, 16. And if you're hearing me say 1 Corinthians 15, 16, you're like, here we go. Another Bible verse Don't think about it as a Bible verse if you're not a believer. Think about it as an uncovered manuscript from a letter to the Corinthians with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of copies proving its accuracy that say there were 500 people who saw Jesus resurrected from the dead after his crucifixion. And let's also note that that letter was originally written in Greek. So the Greek word for resurrected in the original language did not just mean like alive and alive again. The word resurrected in Greek actually means transcended, transcended state. So they saw Jesus transcended. They didn't see Jesus the man. They saw Christ, the son of God. That is what is written in 1 Corinthians 15, 16. Skeptics like to say, okay, but what if he survived the cross and escaped the tomb? First, let's go back to history once again. We know that the Romans and their culture, they were known for unspeakable torture and savagery. They seriously were entertained. We know the Roman Colosseum. They were entertained by death and bloodshed and pinning brother against brother and family member against family mother, member. So to let a man live, if you were put in charge of crucifying someone and you messed up and he lived, you would have been killed next. So it was kill or be killed. They did not miskill Jesus. They did not accidentally not kill him enough. Like they They made sure he was dead. Not to mention, it's also clearly documented in Scripture that he was stabbed in the side to assure he had died, and that's found in John 19, 3, 4, which fulfilled prophecies foretold in Psalm thirty four twenty and Zechariah 12, 10. So in John 19, 34, we read about when the Roman soldier pierced Jesus in the side with his um, spear to just assure, okay, he's really dead up on the cross. So then they took him down and put him in the tomb. In Psalm 3420, in Zechariah 1210, it says he would be pierced in the side. And that's just amazing because again, hundreds of years foretold. So, 500 people, back to the Corinthians verse, 500 people say he had risen from the grave. If 500 witnesses were against you or myself in court, the final verdict would be almost impossible to dispute. If eyewitness accounts hold up in our modern day court system, why do we discredit them when it comes to the Bible? People here like faith, religion are like, oh no, 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 no. And it's like, do you want to see or not? Do you want to believe or not? Are you denying truth out of pride or laziness because you don't want to put time into the research? Or are you potentially okay with opening yourself up to what if? If the whole faith side of it is too much for you, start with the history. That's what I did and my life was changed. At the end of the day, you will hear all of this evidence I have provided and say, you're full of it or you'll take the time to research and uncover the truth truth for it yourself. If you're a skeptic, I hope this episode makes you aware of the fact that most Christians aren't gullible, we're not uneducated, and we don't blindly believe something out of conformity. There are historical, scientific, and archaeological proofs to the Bible that are the basis for our faith just as much as faith itself. If you're a Christian, I hope this episode has encouraged you to truly treasure the Word of God and realize it is the foundation for your faith. We are not led by feelings or who we want God to be. We don't cherry pick the Word, but we recognize it as the foundation for truth. If you're struggling to believe every verse in this Bible, there have been historians who have gone verse by verse to make sure that the words composed of those manuscripts belong in this Bible, that they have the same theme that they were not. For example, going back to the Gospel of Thomas really quick, the reason that that was thrown out is because historians were able to quickly analyze that it did not align with what any other apostle was writing about Jesus, who he was or what. The work of his life. And so that's why that was removed for our protection and not for control of, we want you to believe this message. It's like, no, this is the message of history of who Jesus was. Um, So if you're interested in anything I talked about today, if you want to become a history nerd like me, um, if you want to dive deeper, I highly recommend the book Case for Christ by Lee Strobel this book has been around for a really long time. This is actually the study because my small group did it. Um, If you're watching on uh, YouTube, I'm holding up the study right now. Um, But Case for Christ is a really cool book because I needed hard proofs. I needed my questions answered when I experienced faith for the first time. I experienced a supernatural miracle answered in my life, and then I investigated it by um, logic and reason and history. So I needed... I needed proof, and that's exactly what I found. Um, but Case for Christ was the turning point for me. Lee Strobel, who wrote Case for Christ, he is a um, he's an investigator basically. So he works in the court systems. He is a lawyer, and his wife came to him one day and said, "Honey, I believe in Jesus," and he was about to divorce her because. He pretty much said, I didn't sign up for this. You are crazy. And I don't even know who you are anymore. So he started, before he divorced his wife, he started building a case against Christ. He started um, interviewing all of these historians, theologians, atheists, believers, non-believers, agnostics, Jewish people. He started interviewing as many people as he could on the history of the Bible, the evidence for Jesus and proof of his miracles. And in the process of trying to prove his wife wrong. He ended up believing. And so he gives all of the history you want in his book, Case for Christ. Highly recommend it. And he did not end up divorcing his wife in the end. And now they have a beautiful ministry where, you know, this book largely played into why I believe in the Bible. And I hope it does the same for you. I also would really recommend Ken Ham. That's Ken H-A-M. I think it's two M's. H-A-M-M. Uh, resources for scientific evidence on creation. So if you're struggling with like, well, how was the world formed and how did this happen? How did this happen? He's science guy through and through. He has a really good video on YouTube. Ken Ham debated Bill Nye, the science guy. And I know the nineties baby in me wants to be like Bill Nye. Um, But unfortunately I do side with Ken Ham on this one. Uh, But there is scientific evidence to the start of the world. There is scientific evidence to creation. And if you're struggling with that, that that side of faith, that aspect of faith, Ken Ham resources. The book I mentioned earlier, When Critics Ask by Norman Geisler, another great one. Great one um, and then another kind of entry-level one is The Encyclopedia of Biblical Difficulties by Gleason L. Archer. And I will link all of these below in my YouTube. These authors focus on apologetics topics, and basically apologetics is just the, um, they're questions that combat critics who come against the accuracy of the Bible, and it's also a huge passion of mine. You've probably noticed from big topics that I tend to tackle, which are apologetics topics. So I want to leave you with this. Thomas Edison, respected guy in history, helped us a lot with our uh, light situation. Thomas Edison once said, all Bibles are man-made. Similarly, Dr. Arroway can be quoted for stating, if God wanted to send us a message and ancient writings were the only way he could think of doing it, he could have done a better job. My response to that is God wants you to seek him. Like any relationship, what is easy, we do not chase. And what we chase is not always easy. God wants to be wanted. He wants you to seek him he will grant you supernatural faith and understanding when you seek him and your eyes will be opened. I just want to say, think about it. I literally have nothing to gain from sharing all of this with you today. My life does not change. I profit nothing, whether you follow God or not. Yet I share him because I know of a truth so sufficient that I want to share it with everyone else. And I'm okay with accepting certain mysteries of the faith as stated in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy three nine. But there are answers out there if you're willing to just explore both sides of the coin. So kind of with that, someone came out with a book called The Case Against Case for Christ. And I read that one even because I was like, okay, I wanna know what people have to say to dispute what he said then. In my opinion, didn't change at the end, but there takes a time of lowering your pride to investigate both sides of the coin because do you want to do you want to know with certainty where you're going at the end of this life if i'm wrong and the bible is wrong and all of this history backed by a lot of data is wrong i lose nothing because there's nothing after this but if i'm right I have everything to gain with God in heaven. And I want that for you. I believe it so strongly. There's enough evidence right here in front of me that I want that for you. Hebrews 11, one says faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things we cannot see. I was once a skeptic who had my heart softened into faith as I dove into history. I'm grateful God has given us a paper trail back to his son and that I am now saved because of efforts of those who were martyred for the Bible to be sitting on my desk here today. The Bible is a modern day miracle, and I hope you come to trust that for yourself. Thanks for joining me on this episode of uh, Christ and Me with Addie. I almost forgot my title name because I've been like going on about history. I'm like, what is my podcast name compared to all this? But thanks for joining me on Christ and Me with Addie. I really hope that this inspires you today, that you dive into his word and that you know God can be trusted. He just wants to be with you and he wants to help you in your journey of knowing, trusting and understanding the Bible. I'll see you guys next time.